Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving. I sure hope your Thursday was full of happy and full of Thanksgiving. I hope you and your family had just a a lot of opportunity to gather around that big turkey bird and discuss politics and the recent election. I mean, what's more inspiring than when we get together and discuss politics, amen? Just fills us all with, with gratitude. Hey, little fun fact here. So when we think of Thanksgiving, we kind of go back to the beginning of America, right? And, and the pilgrims and that whole historical scene. Well, it was actually not till 1863, middle of the Civil War. Can you imagine that? In 1863, that's when Thanksgiving was, was declared in law a, a federal holiday. That's when it kind of became the very consistently the fourth Thursday uh, of the month of November. And that, that's kind of when it landed there was in 1863. Well, what's interesting is six years later, November 6, 1869, the first football game was played between Princeton and Rutgers. And so I'm thinking to myself, God watched us as a nation celebrate Thanksgiving for five years, always right after a recent election, and decided, I got to give them something else to talk about. And he created football. (laughs) Amen? I mean, isn't God good? Okay, it's not a football crowd, all right. <laughs> ah, I can take a leave it. <laughs> well, we, uh, we uh, are here today to, to continue the celebration of, of Thanksgiving. And you know, when we're talking about any, any holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, gosh, you can throw in birthdays and anniversaries. Those are very shaped. The, the, the experience we have, and that what we remember that is, is the family gathering, right? I mean, Christmas can be about the birth of Jesus, and, and Easter can be about his resurrection, and the birthday is, is about somebody celebrating life. But, but what that day really becomes about is what it's like for us to gather, and what is talked about, and, and what is shared, and what we do, the activity. That's what really shapes that. Well, well not only does that gathering shape a holiday, but that gathering shapes this moment right here. Oh, well, yes, the Lord's Supper is about Jesus and the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and what that means and accomplishes in our life. And we're supposed to remember that. But, but very much a part of us coming together and doing this, that, that coming together shapes what this moment is going to mean. Shapes what, what this moment is going to do. And that can be actually a little bit strange, I think, for an American Christian to think about that. And the reason I emphasize the word American is because we're very, we're very individualistic in nature. And I think a lot of times we tend to approach this moment, sometimes because that's what the pastor told us to do, we tend to approach this moment as a very private matter. That this is a place of doing personal business with God. And you know what? There's absolutely an element of truth to that. But in our individualism, I think sometimes we lose just how much God sees us, not just as a a whole bunch of individuals that landed in the same room at the same hour, but He sees us as a family. And He sees our relationship to one another, or our, our responsibility to one another, our responsibility for one another. And for God, our gathering, our, our conversation, what we're doing really shapes this moment. 
As a matter of fact, there are, there are three descriptions of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Those three descriptions are in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John alludes to it, but he doesn't go into the same detail as the other three Gospels. So, so you only have four places in the New Testament that, where it talks about the Lord's Supper. Three of the four are the actual event. It's just the historical telling of what happened in the upper room. And then we have one more, and that's in 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing the church there, and it's, it's almost 20 years later. And something has evolved in the way that church family is celebrating this moment, and it is grievous. I mean, this is something that, that is really creating some problems. And, and Paul writes to correct and to challenge What's happening there? Let, let's see what that is. And, and I, I want to give you a little hint. Look how relational the issue is. Look with me today at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians. Remember, we have the three places in the Gospels that, that are the telling of the Lord's Supper. And then we have this one other place in the New Testament that addresses what is pretty big in our faith, the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You'll find it there past the middle of your New Testament, past the Gospels, Acts, Romans. Then you run into the letters in, into the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. It says there, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. I got to just stop right there and say, man, folks, can we just stop and imagine, man, what's happening here that, that if you and I get together at 945 on Sunday morning and an hour later, God says, you know what? Honestly, it'd have been better if y'all hadn't come at all. We should kind of want to know what that's about, Right. Can you imagine God saying, I, 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 you'd have been better off if you had not gathered as my people. Well, gosh, what is happening? Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I won't. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, without taking that time to examine and, and look at what's happening in your life, in your faith in the Lord, in your relationship with the church, without that examination, without that discerning, you eat and drink judgment on yourself." 
And that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I was uh, 12 years old the first time I took the communion. I imagine like... Probably many of you were right about that, that same age. I, I had grown up Presbyterian to that point in my life. So I'd been baptized as a baby. And then you go through confirmation where you're confirming that decision your parents made when you were a baby. And then you become a part of the church and, and can now take the Lord's Supper. And I, I remember I was so excited. Because I mean, I'd grown up those years, five years old, nine years old, 11 years old, watching these people around me take the, the Lord's Supper and I couldn't take it and I watched them drink from that, that little jigger of juice that clearly satisfies nobody's thirst and eat this little wafer that nobody would eat other than at this moment right here. And you know, and as you're watching all that and you can't do it, you know, the whole thing just kind of becomes wonderfully mysterious, Right? But then a little bit later, and I don't, I don't remember how much longer later, I, I believe I might have still been in my teen years, maybe early 20s, I remember reading this passage. And it probably wasn't the first time I'd read this passage. I mean, we read lots of passages and it just goes in and out, right? Sometimes we read it, I don't know what happens, and it just lands a little bit differently. You catch a word, you catch an idea. And, and I remember reading this for the first time thinking, wow. And all of a sudden, what was wonderfully mysterious kind of became mysteriously scary. Did you hear some of the words we just read in there? Some of the ideas and phrases? It says to, to approach this table in an unworthy manner. Do we even think about how what's going to happen in this next 20 or 30 minutes of, of whether I do that in a right way, a wrong way, a worthy way, or an unworthy way? Because that, that's what's just being presented here, Right? There's a way that you and I can walk through this moment and come out the other side and, and God be blessed and, and God applaud and God appreciate. And then apparently what we see here is there's another way we can come out and he says, you know what, I wish you hadn't even come. Well, if I'm a genuine follower of Christ, I should want to know what that's about. I, I, I don't want to go through this moment and come out that way. So just think about some of these words, unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on themselves, guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And how about this idea that some, I, I, I don't know if it was once or if it had been somewhat repetitive, but there was such a grievous nature about the way they did this that God said some became sick and even died. You know, I wonder, those of, I mean, I would assume most of this room is filled with people. Man, I believe the Word of God. I believe the miracles. I believe the supernatural. This is the inerrant, authoritative Word of God. But we read a line like that and think, well, that doesn't happen today. You know, nobody's getting sick. Nobody's dying because of how they handled the Lord's table. That's what it says. That's kind of rough, isn't it? And, and so it's, it's thinking through these ideas. It's the heaviness and the weight of this moment that leads Paul to say, hey, you guys need to examine yourselves. Now, it's that word examine where a lot of pastors, myself included, 
have led the church body to say, okay, now before we do this, why, and I, I mean, I've said this, I don't know how many times, while, while the deacons are handing the elements out, this is a time to examine ourselves, and what we tend to do is just kind of think through the recent sins, right? What are my sins of yesterday, this past week, the last month or so? What, what are maybe not as much recent, but I know they're, they're kind of the habitual problems in my life, kind of some of the ongoing sin. And so we use this moment in a very private way to, to think about some of my failures, to think about some of my sins, confess that before the Lord, receive his forgiveness, and, and now I'm ready. And, and, and that word absolutely should be understood that way. I mean, I can't come to a table that is about celebrating God's love and God's sacrifice so that I could be forgiven if while at the same time I'm harboring and holding on to my sin, right? So while this personal business, this confession of my own sin is a very appropriate way to understand that word examine, but there's also a reality that that word is used in a context, there's a series of things that are communicated and at the end of communicating those things, Paul says, now you examine yourself. And what came right before that word was not just me looking at my personal sins, but rather what came before that word was me evaluating and looking at my relationship with you, the church. How you and I live in relationship together as a, as a family. And again, a little tricky, I think, for the American to think through because I don't know how much we think. I mean, we know we have family kind of a metaphor. Oh, we're all a family. Really, is that how we... No, we probably tend to think of this as mostly a room of people I think I go to church with. Haven't I seen you up there? But that's about it. And yet everything Paul's saying to evaluate is about how connected we are as a family. And, and, and so what, what, what is the context? Well, in verse 17, he says, hey, in this church family, and I'm not talking about you, the Heights, I'm saying he, you know, if he was talking to the church in Corinth, hey, in this church family, there is great division. You are, you are greatly divided up among yourselves. That's, that's not okay. That's very grievous to God. Hey, in this church family, there's great selfishness. You see that in verse 21. You won't see the word selfish, but you look at the activity being described there. And it says, man, I'm coming to this table and I'm just getting what... I mean, they literally like were eating and drinking, getting what they wanted for themselves. Didn't matter if there was any left over. It's kind of selfish, isn't it? Now, that's probably not going to be a problem today, is it? I mean, that, that, I mean, can I just erase verse 21 and beyond for us? Because that's just really not an issue we have. I mean, I can't imagine this tray's going down one of these aisles and one of you is doing this. Here, put some of this in your purse. You know, we're trying to get as many of these little jiggers as we can. No, that's, that's probably not going to happen. So does that mean we have no problem with selfishness? You know, I, I wonder what percentage of the church pulls up into a parking lot this would, I think, be a question at our church, the churches around the corner and churches all across America. We're going to pull up into a parking lot. We're going to park. I'm going to walk in. I might wave. I know a few of them from work wave. And I come in here and I sit down and I just look straight ahead. I get what I need out of the music. I get what I need out of the word. I do my business with God and then I get up and I walk out, I wave at one or two more people and out to the car and off the property. 
and almost never connect, ever really relate with anybody in the, in the body of Christ. That by nature, I mean, selfish is kind of a mean word, right? But that is what I just described is by nature, by definition, selfish. When I walk in here, I'm focused on me, what I need, what I want. Don't really care about the rest of you. Now, I, I wouldn't say I don't care, but I mean, honestly, the mentality, the activity is basically that, right? I'm in here for what I need to do with God. I'm assuming you're doing the same. Good luck. That's selfish. And, and then in verse 24, as he begins to, to retell the story of the Lord's Supper, I think he's saying, hey, there is a great miss in you and I loving one another like Christ loved the church. Man, we're coming to a table and we're celebrating love. We're celebrating sacrifice. But we're forgetting that not only was Jesus accomplishing our salvation in that, but he was also modeling and illustrating what his new family He's modeling how we're to love each other. And he says, man, look, look, the love we're celebrating is not the love being expressed. And so where there is division, where there is selfishness, where there is a, this kind of unloving way in, in approaching the family, folks, that is, that is showing us what it means, what it looks like to approach the table in an unworthy way. Does that mean it doesn't matter if I confess that I lied yesterday? Yeah, I should probably confess. Lord, I'm sorry I lied yesterday. Lord, I'm sorry I was such a grump this week. But really what this passage is asking us to examine and look at is my life in the church. My life, my relationship with this family. That's what it means to approach this moment in a, in a worthy way that I'm, I'm evaluating, examining, correcting, confessing. You know, a couple of questions we might think through to, to, you know, to examine ourselves in this way. And this would not be all of the questions. This is just some ideas. Do I encourage what brings people together? Because we're, we're dealing with divisiveness, Right. Am I encouraging? Now, that can be thought of in a couple of ways. I, I could see somebody or know somebody that maybe has visited here two or three weeks, two or three months, and they're just not quite connecting. You know, they still are walking into a room of strangers, not a family. Man, am I looking for that person? Am I trying to help that person and, and come alongside them and help them connect, help this become a family for them and not just a gathering of strangers from around the community? Do I encourage that? Do, am I a peacemaker? I mean, we're a family, right? What do families do? Some of us did that in the last two days, right? Yeah, I mean, it's family. We, we, we do that. So am I a peacemaker? Am I helping people work through issues and work through problems? And yeah, that's real. I know that. But how do we come together? Am I an encourager? Or do I enjoy the rumors and the gossip? Do I, do I get kind of caught up in the anger that this person has for that person? Now, I can't imagine anybody's going to read that and say, yeah, boy, that's me. Boy, I'm, whew, I love a good fight. I love watching others fight. No, we're not going to say that. But you know what, folks? This is, that's just human nature right there, isn't it? For all of us, unbelievers, believers, this is very much human nature. In some ways, it's, it's nothing more than we just get caught up in the drama, Right? Oh, there's this tension and there against it. We just get all caught up in that. But that getting caught up can, can a lot of times widen the gap. It, it can keep the division growing. Sometimes it's not as innocent as just getting caught up in the drama. Sometimes we, we kind of fuel the anger. 
We fuel the anger that this person or this group has for this person or this group because their anger kind of justifies my anger. Their behavior helps justify my behavior. And so I kind of keep that going. I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm creating division. You know, another question. Do I practice encouragement, forgiveness, and love in the church? I, I pulled those three out because they are just so consistently communicated in the New Testament for believers, aren't they? Encourage one another, forgive one another, love one another. Over and over and over, the New Testament is calling us. These wouldn't be the only three words that we need to think about, but boy, they're pretty common. Now, a lot of times I think we can, we can read a question like that and say, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm good there. And you know what we're really saying? What we're really saying is, well, I haven't done anything discouraging this week. I haven't done anything un to be unforgiving. I haven't done anything in a while to be unloving. But this question is not asking you if you're a bad person. <laughs> this question is saying, are you in a methodical, disciplined way approaching this group of people looking for opportunity to love, to encourage, to forgive? Am, am I going in the positive? Am I building the positive of these things? Questions we would ask ourselves. Where have I done that? If I'm saying yes, oh yeah, I do that. Where? When? You don't owe me an answer. You, you examine yourself. You owe yourself an answer. What, what would you point to that suggests, yes, in this family, I am being in, these, in doing these things? Uh, do I think on my responsibility to serve and to give what we are all doing here together as a family? You know, when I say doing together, there's actually a couple ways to serve. Man, when we, when we gather here at the Heights, I mean, it's, boy, it's a production, isn't it? I mean, getting cars parked and babies taken care of and people teaching the Word of God and people praying for one another and ministering. I mean, there's a lot that makes Sunday morning happen here at the Heights. What role am I playing to pitch into that? How am I helping all this happen so that when we gather, we're ministered to? But there's not just serving when we're gathered. There's also serving when we're scattered, when we all leave here. Am I going to call somebody and let them know I'm praying for them this week? Am I going to help somebody? Or maybe another way of thinking as we serve scattered is... Whose arms am I linking up with? Who am I partnering with in this church family to carry the ministry of Jesus, to carry the ministry of the gospel out into our community and world? How am I serving? Because we're a family. We do this together, right? Giving, same way. Man, am I pitching in? That doesn't sound like a very spiritual way of talking about giving, does it? But I mean, in that element, hey, we are a family, and we are doing something in this world. You know, am I like, what's that commercial, the, the, the alligator with the short arms that can't reach the bill? Have y'all seen that commercial? Is that Geico? Sounds like Geico, doesn't it? I'm sorry if it's not Geico. Um, hey, am I, am I always, you know, it, it takes a lot to make all this happen. Do I just let everybody pick it up? I come in and get what I need? Or am I, am I pitching in? What kinds of questions we ask? One or two others here. Am I faithful to God's family? Is, is that the operative word there? Is, what word would you put there to describe your attendance, your involvement, your prayers for, for the whole, your prayers for the individuals? Um, what else? Service. What, what word would you use? And of course, we're asking ourselves, what word would I use? What word would I put there to describe my relationship with this body of people. Am I loving my best friends here, my acquaintances here, and, and those I don't know very well here? Now, you and I know, the Bible says we're to love one another, right? 
But you think about all the, all the one another's, and this might sound like questions just for a big church. I'm pretty sure these same questions have to be asked if you go to a church that runs 90. Because none of us in here has 90 best friends that we're doing life with. I mean, that's, that's just not real. We got, we got a handful of people. We do life with them in church. We do life with them when we're outside of church. We pray together. We go eat pizza together. We play putt-putt together. That's such a preacher to name three things that all start with the same letter. Amen? I mean, we just, these are my best friends. This is who we fully engage and live life in Christ with. And then we've got acquaintances, and that may not be the best word, but that's a bigger group, maybe a lot of the group. There's a, a lot of people, and I probably don't eat pizza with you much, if ever, but boy, we worship together, and we're going to go on a mission trip together, and we're going to get involved in that project together, and we know each other. We can actually sit down and have a, maybe even somewhat of a serious conversation you know, that's a, that's a much larger group. And then you've got that group that you, don't they go to our church? I think I saw them at church last Sunday. Yeah, now, probably in a group of 90, you don't have that question as many times, you know. But, but, but you know, you've got that group you don't know very well. Now, here you and I, we're called to love everybody on this spectrum, right? But here's the reality. You're, you're not loving people down on this end the same way that you're loving on that. That's impossible, So we're not asking how to even the love out so that you love somebody you barely know the exact same way you love your best friend. But am I thinking through how do I love that person I barely know at church? How am I loving my best friends? Remember, the the command is examine myself. And and with this question, we're trying to realize, hey, there's a spectrum at which I'm going to relate with people at church and examining how how that's happening, right? Now, folks, these aren't the only questions. Those are just the kinds of questions we might ask when we're trying to approach this table in a way that that God gets excited about. And God says, man, I'm so glad you were here today. I'm so glad you did that. Versus God saying, you know, it would have been better if you hadn't shown up. So we now go into a time where we're going to examine ourselves. And yes, if you know you lied yesterday... Please, by all means, tell the Lord you're sorry and ask his forgiveness. And know with total confidence, 1 John 1, 9, that he gives it. But understand what what the scripture actually called us to think about in this moment. And that is how I relate with this body, with this family. To to examine that and and think through that. Now, here's the the challenging part in doing this, okay? Our our deacons are going to stand up. They're going to start handing this stuff out. And you've got, like, go, ready, now. Because you got like four or five minutes. That's it. Now, I, I won't speak for you. I'm not going to imply anything about you. I, I'll just speak for me. I can't deal with everything that needs to be dealt with in four or five minutes. I certainly can't correct anything that needs to be corrected in just the next four or five minutes. So if I've got something that needs to be corrected, if I've got something to be said, does, does that mean I can't come to this table? You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I I think if you and I, in these next few moments, if we have some significant thoughts, some significant prayers, and we know that maybe some things need to be confessed, some things need to be changed, but by the time I hit the car, all of those thoughts have been like a lead balloon. They've hit the ground. Those thoughts are over and gone. Then there's a pretty good chance that, that God will read back into this moment approaching in an unworthy manner. Now, while I can't fix anything, you know, if I use these four or five moments to start a process, I'm going to use these moments to start thinking and, 
And, and when the Lord shows me something, I, Lord, I'm, I'm going to think about this some more this afternoon and, and this week. And I'm going to let that thought kind of evolve into probably a conversation. Maybe with a friend at church. Maybe with my mate or, or with my family. Hey, we need to, I think we need to adjust here. We need to think about the word that describes our relationship to the church family. We need to, you know, it, if that happens, then I believe God totally reads in a worthy way back into this moment. Does that make sense? So it's not just what happens in the next four or five moments, four or five minutes. It's what gets started in the next four or five minutes that will determine if you and I came here in a way that blesses and honors the Lord or in a way that mocks what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you guide all of us now and it is a personal moment right here lord would you guide all of us into the thoughts that we need to think the ideas we need to examine lord help us to understand how important our relationship to one another is to you and that there may be nothing bigger that we need to do that would help us to understand more of your will to experience more of your power, more of your wisdom, more of your guidance. Lord, guide each of us into what needs to happen in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you know, all these commands in the New Testament about what we are to be and do for one another. In most cases, that actually applies to the capital C church. In other words, this is what we're to be for all believers everywhere, from, from Calcutta to Chicago. We're, we're to love the family of God, the family of, of Jesus Christ. But if you stop and think about it, most of us probably aren't going to relate with any believers from Chicago or Calcutta this week, are we? Most of the believers we relate with are going to be in Chesterfield or Colonial Heights. You see, the local church, the little C, that's where we practice. That's where we get good at all these things that God has called the family to be for one another. You know, we understand greatly, don't we, that, that that a body was broken and blood was spilled so that you and I could experience a new relationship with Jesus Christ. What we need to understand just as much is that that same body, that same blood, not only brought us into relationship with God, but it brought us into a very real relationship with each other. Jesus said, this is my body. It's been broken for you. Take this and eat. He said, this cup represents my blood. It brings you into a new covenant. You know what covenant is? It's a word of relationship. A new covenant with each other. A new covenant with God. He said, it's been spilled so that that could happen for you. Remember that. Take and drink. If those of you on the left end of each aisle would pick up that little basket and begin to Pass it down the row and y'all can deposit your little cups there. Boy, that was done so quietly and efficiently. Almost holy-like, wasn't it? Y'all are such a good family. What a good family here at Supper. Hey, thank you all so much for being here together today and celebrating Jesus Christ. Let's close this time with a word of prayer. Father, we, we come before you. And Lord, you know the truth is we have a hard enough time not only remembering your love and sacrifice, but then letting that love and sacrifice shape our thoughts, our ideas, our priorities, our actions, our words. Lord, it's, it's a challenge enough for a lot of us just to remember how much we're to love you and be faithful to you. And now, Lord, we understand that that has to stretch out from you to, to a whole body of Christ, to the church family. Lord, help us to realize there's, there's not going to be a close connection to you, a close experience with you, without there being a close connection, a close experience with the church. Lord, help us to realize as we seek to be faithful to you, to love you, that that means being faithful to and loving your family. God, guide each of us what that means in our lives, what steps we should take, so that as we get an hour removed from this table, a week removed from this table, that you would read a very worthy manner in the way that we came here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.